something that I felt like God put on my heart for somebody here during the worship set. So I want to we want to do that, and then we're going to jump in. We're launching a new series. Come on, we're going to have a great four weeks together here in Newport News and in Williamsburg. Jamie and I are going to be doing some team teaching, so he's going to uh, be here some. I'm going to be there some. But but uh, let me. This is the phrase. So I'm going to use the word that you thought, which maybe is going to make some of you uncomfortable. But welcome to the City Life Church. I would say so. So somebody during the worship set, this, this, is, this, is, this is the phrase that was in your head. What in the hell? This is the phrase that was in your head. And the reason that was in your head is because you've never been in an environment like this before that celebrated the goodness of God like we celebrated it tonight. And God wants to say some things to you. And so I hope that you'll come up at the end of the service because I just want to encourage you a little bit that, that, that you grew up in a home where, where fear was used to, to frighten you into a controlling Christianity. And, and, and the thought of hell has been something that has frightened you for all of your life. And what we want to say to you tonight is that you don't have to be frightened by that anymore. This comes out of Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And it says this, it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is his kindness intended to turn you from your sin? And so if, if that's you tonight, and, 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 and I use that phrase specifically because I feel like that, that you use that specifically phrase in your head, and God's picking up on that. Does that make sense? To let you know He knows who you are and the place that you're at, and He doesn't want you to be afraid. That the heaven that is promised to you is good enough that you don't have to be afraid of the hell anymore. That the, this hope of glory that God wants to give to you. So Father, whoever that is that's here tonight, whoever that's never been in a setting like like this father before where where the goodness of who you are is so uplifted and so celebrated whoever that is here tonight father that fear has just gripped their heart for so many years father that we just want to see them set free tonight that that through their devotion to Christ that there can be a a a, a just a, a a part of their journey in this life that is filled with celebration and that they would have a revelation of the goodness of who you are to them as a perfect father that you're not hovering over them waiting to make mistakes, that you're not in this life trying to rob them of good things, that, Father, that you yourself spoke of yourself in your word, that you are a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, rich in steadfast love and truth. And I pray that you would set this person's feet on a path and a journey in your word of discovering the passion and the love and the kindness of your heart, that you would set their feet on a journey, that you would surround them with people that are celebrating this life in Christ, that you would set them on a journey, Father, where they would begin to share their story of being set free from this fear, having a revelation of the goodness of the Father, that you're going to put them on a journey where they can begin to share that story with other people and help other people break free from that, that life of just absolutely being afraid of you. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, Amen. Come on, if that's you, I hope you come up at the end of the service. I would love to talk with you a little bit more about that. So, hey, we are launching a new series tonight. We're excited about it. It's called Super. And so just to get us all kind of thinking in the right direction, we like a little participation here at the City Life Church. And so I'm going to actually, you know what, let me do some giveaways first. And uh, let me do that. So one, I've got a Starbucks gift card I'm giving to Hannah since David, her husband, spent all of her money. So, that's right. Don't give that to him. Don't go. All right. All right. All right. 
Okay. All right, so, so we're, we're starting this new series called Super, and so one of the things that's been on social media, if you're not following us, then you need to get on Facebook, you need to check out our Facebook page, but there's been a little bit of a contest to, to tell us about your favorite superhero, and we're going to do that in just a minute, but we said, hey, we're going to do a giveaway to the, to the best post, and I don't know if they're here tonight, but are Maddie and Sarah Waller, are they here somewhere? Do you know if Maddie, oh, there he is. Matt, he, there was an anthology of superhero history on our Facebook page. They don't even make encyclopedias anymore, but they're thinking about coming out for one on superheroes because of his post. So I've got a, a five DVD collector set for the Superman series for Mr. Matt Waller. Well done, sir. Well done. And then this, this goes to my good friend Wayne Thomason. He's over there in the Green Lantern t-shirt because he had a great post, a little bit of rhyming and some saying, and really the whole idea of doing a series about superheroes was kind of his idea about a year ago. So come on, we'll just give a little bit of, little bit of recognition there. So, so next week, I've got another DVD I want to give away, so I'm going to give that away to whoever, whoever wears the, the best superhero t-shirt, right? Chris Howell said, I know Jesus is coming back tonight. And I said, oh, really? I said, how do you know? He says, because you're in a T-shirt. I've never seen you preach in a T-shirt before. So, all right. So I'll see you in heaven. I hope, I hope you're there with us. All right. So, so let's, let's do this. So tell me, tell me about who's your, who's your favorite superhero. Or maybe you don't have a favorite superhero, but, but maybe it's a, a, a superhero power that, that you would like to have. In, in the slides, all the images are superheroes. And, and uh, Wayne Thomason was on, me, on the tech team tonight, and so he was helping me test, test all my slides. He said, you, you know you've mixed Marvel and DC comic people together. And I said, Wayne, we're all coming together as one under the banner of Jesus Christ. So, so, and I even have a Jesus action hero figure right here helping me. And it does talk if you push the button, but I'm not because then he just he keeps going and you, you can't tell Jesus to be quiet. So we're not going to, that would be trouble. That would be trouble. All right, so, so you raise your hand. What, your favorite, a favorite superhero that you have or maybe a superhero power? Lisa. I'm not a superhero, but I wanted for my birthday a cloak of invisibility. A cloak of invisibility would be the, the one because she's such an extrovert. That's why she wants... Wants that, right? All right. Jordan? Captain America. Captain America. All right, Tom? The Hulk. Well done. Who else? Favorite superhero, superhero power that you like to have? Anybody? Come on. Anyone? Over there, Dustin? You're, we, super, Superman. Superman, of course. Of course. Flash Gordon, Flash Gordon yes. Got to like Flash Gordon. Anybody else? Somebody stand. The ability to fly. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty cool. I can't see in the shadows. All right, all right, there he is. Definitely Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. Spider-Man's got a lot of appearances tonight, so you're going you're gonna to like that. Wonder Woman, yes. Now, I just want you to know I'm not chauvinistic, but there are no female pictures of superheroes because they're terribly inappropriate. So don't let your young children watch any of those, see any of those pictures. Take those comic books from them. If you don't believe me, fan through them, and you're going to be shocked. I'm like, good Lord, my parents let me look at this. What were they thinking? Somebody, did you have a hand up? Wolverine. Now, word on the street is that he has a, some Wolverine costume pieces that he shared. And so we said, you should bring those next week in our circle time. And Hannah said, you may not. So <laughs> you may not. So, so he's not going to have them next week because... He's a good husband. All right. Is anybody else? One last one? No? Stephanie. 
Mystique. I don't even know who that is. From what? Oh, from the X-Men. She's the one that can change. She freaks me out just a little bit. She's a little creepy. All right, maybe one more so that one won't be stuck in my head. All right, thank you, Shanika. What's that? Captain Planet. Nice. Marvin had a post earlier, Marvin Thomas, I think they're sitting right here, Letterman from, from uh, Electric Company and Sesame Street. I was like, come on, that's awesome. That's great. That's cool. Let me, let me, read, let me read this verse to you, and then I think it's going to become apparent why we've titled the series the way that we have. Galatians 5, to 23, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, now we know, if you've been a part of us for any amount of time, this is one of the five great growth lists that are in the Bible. It gives us the 24 virtues that we talk about that paints a picture of the portrait of Christ that's the culmination of our discipleship model with the 1, the 6, the 12, and the 24, which we call the praxis. And so if you want to learn more about that, you can get that on our website or through our podcast. But, but the list gets a lot of the attention, but one of the most powerful parts of this text is the very last line. Not not only what it says about the virtues, but what it says about us as human beings and a capacity that God has created us with. The very last line here says, there is no law against these things. There is no law against these things. What God is saying here through this one simple statement is that you have been created with the capacity for excess. The, the, the capacity that you have to overdo it, the capacity that you have to not know when to stop, the capacity that you have to just, just to go beyond what is reasonable into the realm of ridiculous, God created that capacity in you so that you could move in the virtues that the Scripture gives us in a way that has no limit. There are things in this life that are supposed to have limit. There are things in this life that are supposed to have boundaries. There are things in this life that are supposed to have a ceiling, but you can never be too peace-giving. Come on. You can never be too patient, too loving, too kind. Does that make sense? These virtues, the capacity that we have to go overboard was given to us so we can go overboard in the right ways, in the right circumstance. When he says there's no law against these things, he's saying there's no limit. There's no limit to these things. And the capacity that you have as, as a human being is, is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful gift so that we can be excessive when it comes to the virtues and the character of Christ. So, so the tagline for the series here in Newport News is what kind of hero will you be? What kind of hero will you be? Because superheroes, what makes them super is there was some capacity that they have that's excessive, right? Excessive strength, ex- right? And, and sometimes it might be because they were an alien. If, and, and if you don't understand all the different ways, then you can read, read Matt's posting on the Facebook page, and he explains it all in there, right? But they had some ability, and what made them amazing was the fact that they used that ability to serve other people. You have been given a capacity for excess. What kind of hero will you be? Will you take that capacity that you have? Will you join us as a church family and say, let's use that capacity to be excessive in things like this and let's unleash it on the world that is around us. So these are the four that we're going to touch. I know, it's going to hurt, right? We're doing overeating tonight. I know, so some of your dinner plans, they just went right out the window, right? 
Over, we're doing overeating tonight. Next week, we're going to do overspending. We're blending into that an update on where we are with our 2020 vision. And next week, you don't want to miss, we're going to announce who our campus pastors are going to be for the South Side. Come on, it's going to be good. All right. So we're going to hit overworking after that, and then we're going to wrap up the series on oversexing. The, the church has been too far removed from the conversation about sexuality. That's going to be an honest conversation. It's going to be a direct conversation. You're going to have her words in church that you've never heard before, and, 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 and which is a shame. Because one of the reasons why there's a sexual crisis in our society is because the church has abdicated that conversation to the world, and we need to take that back because this is something that God created. So come on. If you've got young adults, if you've got teenagers, bring them, bring them, bring them. And hopefully, if you've not been having the conversations that you're supposed to have been having, that it's going to be permission given to you to begin that journey and those conversations. And then for your younger kids, you're going to want to make sure they actually make it into workshop that night. So, all right, Acts 28, Acts 28, I'm going to start reading in verse 30. For the next two years, this is the, these are the last two verses of the book of Acts, the last two verses. It's called Acts because it's the Acts of the church, the birthing of the church. Luke, who, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, gave us one of the four Gospels. He wrote Luke and Acts. So if you're new to the Bible, that's a great way to pick up is to read Luke and Acts together. Re just read straight through. Luke and then pick up with Acts. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, and he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love, I love this last phrase that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write, that it didn't just stop there. He says this, and no one tried to stop him. No one tried to stop him. Father, as we, as we launch deep into this series about excess, Father, over the next four weeks, may it be that all of us would, would discover a new depth of the courage of conviction that we need to overcome in these four areas and so many of the other of the areas in our life that, that, we, that we misappropriate our capacity for excess towards. May it be that no one and no thing would be able to stop us from the capacity that you have given us to be excessive in virtue and to have discipline and self-control when it comes to everything else. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said, amen. See, see the, 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 the problem with overeating that we have in society today, especially America, is not because of a lack of health education. It's because of a lack of the courage of conviction. Is that, is that if you can have all the education in the world that you need to have, you, you, can, you, you can know all kinds of facts, you can have the right strategies, you can have the right plans, you can, have, you can have trainers, you can have people supporting you, but if there is not a courage of conviction in here, all of that will fail. All of that will fail. So I'm going to teach you tonight three statements of, uh, that, of, of principles to live by that when you find yourself in situations where, where food is on the table, that you've got to get a hold of these three things, and it's going to bring the courage of conviction that you need to walk in a place of moderation when it comes to eating and when it comes to food. I'm tying it to this text because if we're not careful— when we read things like this in the Bible where it says that no one would stop him, it was not because of the cowardice of the people, it was because of the courageousness of Paul. 
If you're counting on temptation to not be strong enough, if you're, if you're counting on, on the devil to not be good enough to tempt you, does that mean, if you're counting on cowardice, at some point you're going to fail. But if you become like Paul and become a person of courage and have the courage of conviction in your life, it doesn't matter how good the temptation is. It doesn't matter what kind of test that God might bring to you. That's another sermon for another time, the difference between testing and temptation. But when the courage of conviction is present in your life, then you are prepared to overcome no matter what the circumstance in the situation might be so that if someone to write a story about you like God chose to write about Paul that it would be able to say the same thing and no one could stop them not because they were weak not because they were filled with cowardice the people that were in front of you trying to draw you away but because of your courage was too much for them to overcome 2 Timothy 3 1 through 5 2 Timothy 3 one through five. You should know this, Timothy. This is Paul writing to his young protege. Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful, and ungrateful. Come on, that's a terrible, terrible condition. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Paul is talking about a condition that the world got into pretty quick soon after the death and the resurrection of Christ and the, and the birth of, of, of the church. I think if you look through history, you can find that that, that that condition came on pretty quick and we're still in it, right? And, 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 and what's sad is that that description isn't just of the world, that description is also of the church, and, 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 the, and the reason why that exists is because as a people of God, we've lost our courage of conviction. And, and we find ourselves drawn away into things just like this list because our capacity for excess just runs without control. Our, our capacity for excess is just, it's, it's running free. And, and, and what we want to do through this series is for you to understand that this capacity was given to you by God, that you're going to begin to direct it in the right way and withhold it from the wrong way. Listen to this statistic from the Centers for Disease Control. Heart disease and stroke, the principal components of cardiovascular disease, are the first and third leading causes of death for both men and women. Number two is accidents in the United States. Accounting for nearly 40% of all deaths, over 927,000 Americans die of cardiovascular disease each year, which accounts for one death every 34 seconds. That means 158 people in America will have died just during these 90 minutes of the service largely due to preventable conditions. Now, are all of them preventable? No, they're not. All of them are not preventable, but so many of them are. And, and I, I'm convinced that people are gonna, are gonna wake up in heaven, those who have made a vow of devotion to Christ, and God's gonna say to some of those people, you came here too early. You had 10 more years. You had 15 more years. You had five more years. You had 30 more years. There was still part of your destiny that was supposed to be lived out. But because you did not carry the courage of conviction when it came to the stewardship of your physical body, you came to me too soon. And we don't want anyone who calls the City Life Church their home to have that kind of conversation when they enter into heaven because they've made a vow of devotion to Christ because they were not a part of a church who would not challenge them. 
We want to be a church that's going to, we're going to challenge ourselves. And we're going to challenge ourselves in deep and heavy and weighty ways in this series because it is consequential. Life is consequential. Our decisions have consequences. And some of them affect our destiny and some of them affect our future. So I'm going to give you three things tonight. The first one is this, I'm on loan. I'm on loan. I'm giving you three things. And if you can get a hold of these things, I'm telling you, it'll revolutionize your life when it comes to the table. I will live with the courage of conviction that my body is on loan from God. Let me read that again. I will live with the courage of conviction that my body is on loan from God. So when people talk about this is my body, I can do with it what I want, it's not true. When people say I'm not hurting anyone, right, because, because this, it's just me. These bodies were given to us. We've borrowed them from the Father. They belong to Him. And what we do with them, we do to something that is not our own. Let me read you these verses. This is Psalm 50, verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. This is God. For all the world is mine and everything in it. That includes our bodies. Psalm 24, 1, one of my favorite verses. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. We're not our own. Come on, our physical bodies, they belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, For God bought you with a price, so you must honor God with your body. We belong to him. This body is not our own. Think about the last time you borrowed something from somebody and how that affected the way that you used it. I remember years ago, we bought a house in Mechanicsville, uh, just outside of uh, Richmond, uh, the church that we were a part of then in the community where we were pastoring, and we, we were getting to know our neighbors, and our lawn needed a lot of work, and, and we needed a sprinkler, and, and uh, he said, well, I, I've got one. You can borrow an extra one. I don't really use that much anymore, and it was a really nice one. It had a, it, it had a spike that you could put it down to the ground. You connected the hose to it. It had all these types of settings, and, and he said, you can borrow this, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to break this, right? We're new to the neighborhood, and we're getting to know our neighbors, and, and, and so he, he lets me borrow it, and, and so I'm trying to be careful with it. He shows me how to use it, how to do all the settings, and, and so I had it hooked up, and sure enough, it's watering the lawn, and he said, hey, you know, you want to leave it in this section for this amount of time, then move to that section, and, and then I'm sure he told me, but I forgot the detail that you're supposed to turn the hose off before you try to move it, and so I didn't turn the hose off, and so as soon as I grabbed the hose to pull that thing out of the ground, I looked like I had become a ninja with this thing. Because the water was pumping through and that thing was flying all over the place. And the whole time, I should have been thinking, I hope this spike doesn't impale me because this isn't how I want to go out, right? But, the whole, but what I'm thinking is, good God, please don't let me break Ken's sprinkler. You with me? It, because when we borrow something, there's this sense of this isn't mine. I want to take care of it. I need to be able to give it back to them. In the same, and if these things that I'm saying to you don't resonate with you, then you should not borrow things from people. Right? And you know who you are. And for some of you, we know who you are because we've lent you things before. Right? There should be some sense of I want to take care of this. You know, it's, it doesn't belong to me. This body that you have, that I have, it does not belong to us. We've been told that it does. We've, we grew up in a culture that we're told that it does. It belongs to God. And when we get a revelation of who this belongs to, it begins to change the way that we treat it. 
Not just with the table, but it really picks up with our conversation about sexuality, which we're going to get to in just a few weeks. This is in Matthew 21, 33 to 41. I'm not going to go there and read it, but this is for my note takers. I love this parable. This is the parable where, where Jesus talks about how that there was a person who owned a vineyard, and, and, and the vineyard was, 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 was uh, rented out, which was very common in Jesus' day, that there might be a landowner, there was a vineyard, and they would rent it out, and people would come and lease it, and there would be a portion of the profits that would be shared with the landowner, and then they would hire workers, and so forth and so on. You can read this text. It's an amazing story. And when the harvest comes in, the, 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 the landowner begins to send people to, to collect from the prophets, and the people are, are there, say, we're, we're going to take this thing and, and, and own it for ourselves. And then they begin to beat the people that are sent, and then there's a prophetic part about Jesus, because eventually the landowner sends his son, and they kill him. And so it's a prophecy of the foretelling of the, of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And, but, but there's another powerful undercurrent of teaching. All of Jesus' teaching, there's so many layers. And one of them is this, is that we're not our own. Because we read that, right? You're re you've read it, and, and, and if you haven't, you should check it out. The whole time you're reading, you're like, who are these idiots? But who, who does that, right? Are you kidding me? I mean, they know it's not theirs. Do they think the, the person that owns it's just going to let them have it because they say we're going to take it and make it our own? You, you read it, and, and it almost feels like hyperbole. You, you read it, and it feels like an exaggeration. You read it, and you think to yourself, who, who would do that? And the answer to that is you and I, most of our lives. That we have these things that God has given to us, and then all of a sudden we adopt this warped mindset of it's mine. And God says, no, it's not. I gave it to you. It belongs to me. And when you get this revelation that your physical body, your tangible physical body does not belong to you, it should change the way that you treat it when you're at a table. I'm in control. Number two, I'm in control. I will live with the courage of conviction that my appetite is subject to my control. We do not have to be helpless with our hunger. We have a phrase that we like to use here at the City Life Church. It's, it's called self-governance. We, we want to be a church that helps people realize and understand that they can be in control of themselves. Self-governance when, when it comes to our emotions. Self-governance when it comes to our choices. Self-governance when it comes to the stewardship of our physical bodies. Self-governance when it comes to our finances. Come on. Self-governance, right? You can use that phrase over and over and over and over again. It's like the Garden of Eden. We've used that metaphor and taught that in a series before that we are our own garden and God has put us in it to be the master over it under his direction. We're responsible for what we allow in our garden. We're responsible for what we allow to go on and occur to in our lives, to what we invite in and, and, and what comes out. I will live with the courage of conviction that my appetite is subject to my control. There has got to be a place that we get to in this life and our journey of humanity where our appetite does not drive us, but that we tell our appetite what it will and will not do. That doesn't mean that you can say, I'm going to stop being hungry, right? Because that doesn't work. But what you can say to your hunger is, I'm not eating right now. But what I can say to my hunger is, and we're certainly not going to eat that. You tracking with me? can't change the way your physical body works because hunger is an important thing. That lets you know that you need something. But it doesn't mean that you have to be driven by it in this life. Self-governance, it's critical. I'm in control. All right, listen to these verses. Proverbs 23, 1 through 3. While dining with the king... 
pay attention to what is put before you. If you're given to gluttony, put a knife to your throat. Don't desire all the delicacies for he might be trying to trick you. It's this, this idea that when you find yourself in a situation, in a circumstance where you can have anything that you want, right? It's just available to you. That's the image of the king. There was nothing that could be withheld. That just because you're in a situation and in a circumstance like that does not mean that you now have permission to eat whatever is in front of you. Don't be led astray and tempted by those circumstances and situations. Romans 6.12, don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desire. And then 1 Corinthians 6.12, listen to this one. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Self-governance, self-control. It's even one of the fruits of the Spirit. Love the movie Master and Commander. Right? Anybody fans of Master and Commander? Great movie, great movie. There's this, there's this, there's this scene where they're trying to, to go around the, 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 the tip of, of South America and the currents are treacherous. They're in a storm. Their mast breaks off of the ship. And because of all the rigging, it's now acting like a sea anchor that's going to eventually pull them under. And then one of their shipmates has been tossed overboard and has found his way to, to, to this mast and the crossbeam and the rigging. And it's, I'm not going to tell you the, the ending because it's such an intense scene, but they have a decision they have to make. We, we can either try to continue to rescue this shipmate or we can cut it loose so that we can save everyone else. For some of us in this journey in life, this, this was what it feels like so many times when, when we're tempted with our appetite, that it's connected to us, and if we don't cut it loose, it's going to pull us under. There, for, for some of us in this life, our, our appetite has become such a, 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 a dictator over us, it's like this sea anchor that's attached to that ship. And and I'm using that illustration because I don't want you to think that I'm naive to how hard it is to make the kind of changes that I'm talking about. I'm connecting it to that picture because it's not like everybody on the ship was saying, cut the ropes loose, right? We got other shipmates, right? You got to even watch that scene, right? They, 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 They knew the weightiness of that choice. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. Part of this journey in life, we talk about the goodness of God, but part of walking in the goodness of God is because we're making the hard choices. There are tough decisions that we have to make. And we, God did not say it was going to be easy. He just said it was going to be full. And one of the reasons why we get to walk in the fullness of the abundant life is because we're making the tough decisions when they're in front of us, making hard decisions. And when it comes to your physical appetite, there are few things in this life that are as demanding as that. We've had some people in our, in, our, in our church who have just revolutionized their lives over the last couple of years. April Hauser, come on. We're just celebrating her 50th birthday. If you want to hear, April will talk to you about her story. Nate Nawadney's doing amazing things. Come on with his life. He's revolutionizing his story. David and Marina Letourneau, right over here. Raise your hand, David and Marina. I mean, I don't know when they sleep because they're always running a race somewhere, right? Their posts, all this. They've revolutionized their lives physically. You might say, I can't do it. They were saying the same things at some point in their life. Telling you, talk to the people who are making great strides in these places in their life. And I know maybe I've left some, Doug and Chrissy Facile, who are not. Has anybody seen Doug recently, right? He's making huge changes in his life. They're going to tell you, it's hard. It's not easy. But I'm telling you, if you begin to talk to them, you'll begin to hear some of these themes come out. 
that they're realizing their body's on loan from God. They're realizing that they've got to step into a place of being in control and not being controlled by their appetites. Daniel 1, 5 through 15. Again, I'm not going to go there, but for my note takers, if you've never read this, it's a powerful story of when Babylon comes and, and, and Israel's taken away into, into captivity and, 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 and the people are there. And, and, and part of how Babylon assimilates other cultures is they will, they will tap uh, what seems to be promising young men from, from royal families and they will raise them up in their culture and then be able to send them back out and try to lead those conquered nations into a place of acceptance. And, and, and so Daniel's one of these people that's been selected along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And they've been brought in. They're being groomed. And, 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 and one of the things that, that, that's been laid out before them is this huge spread of food. You should read the story. It's amazing. And, and Daniel says, I'm not eating any of that. I'm not eating any of that. This is this amazing story of, 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 of how he, he, he challenges the person that's responsible for them and the person responsible for them and says, if you don't eat this food and you go before the king and it looks as though you're not being taken care of, it, it might cost me my life. Daniel said, just, you just trust my God and you wait and see. And, and through his not willing to violate the, the food laws that existed then, we're going to get to that in a minute, but that existed then, God prospered him above everybody else because he honored his faithfulness. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing, if you've never read that, you should check it out, Daniel 1, 5 through 15. I like that story because one of the problems that we have when it comes to our physical appetites is the temptation of permission. If anybody had permission to give up, it was Daniel. His nation had been conquered. He had been swept away into captivity. He was a slave now to a foreign power. People that he loved had been slaughtered on the battlefield. They've been brought in chains to a distant land. It's not a pretty story. We pick up in this text and it seems like everything's great, but what got him to this place is, is tragic, horrific, barbaric. If anybody had permission, Daniel had permission, right, to say, I'm going to eat the food. My life's a wreck. I got nothing else to live for. God has abandoned us. Might as well eat this bacon. Right? You and I, we find ourselves in circumstances and situations where we give ourselves permission because we're having a bad day. Maybe we're having a great day and it becomes permission to celebrate. You tracking with me? I'm telling you, the, the temptation of permission is so subtle, but it runs rampant in our lives. It runs rampant in our lives. We make these decisions about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do because all of a sudden we begin to get this revelation of my body's on loan from God. We begin to get this revelation of that I want to be in control of my, my physical appetite. And the next thing you know, there's this permission-giving moment that creeps in and says, oh, it's okay. We like that voice. We have got to put ourselves in situations like this and say, God, I want to have the courage of conviction to not give myself permission that you've not given to me. Now, are there permission-giving moments that are acceptable? Absolutely. 
We're not talking about right, like revolution, or restarting a monastic way of life. We're not talking about that. Are there times to celebrate? Yes, and all that, that's all throughout God's Word too. Are there times to, to, to enjoy things maybe beyond the normal uh, portions or different types of things? Absolutely. We're not talking about just suffering for the rest of your life, but when you get a hold of this idea of moderation when you're supposed to have it, then when there is a healthy permission-giving moment for celebration, like last night celebrating April's 50th birthday at Takano's restaurant, right? That, 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 that you can step into those moments and it doesn't derail your life. When I get it right here, then I can celebrate over here. It's knowing the permission that we're supposed to give to ourselves and when not. I'm his home. I'm his home. Let, let, me, let me just come in on this too and then I want to hit this, this last point. So, so you know, one of the things that sometimes frustrates me in, in, in life is that the people will say this to me often, it must be nice to be able to eat whatever you want and not gain weight. So from now on when people say that to me, I'm just going to hit them right in the mouth. <laughs> and people are going to go, what, what happened to your mouth? My pastor hit me. And he said next time he might shoot me in the knee and I think he meant it, Right? So, so just over the holidays, over the, over the holidays, over the holidays, that I stepped onto the scale, and I was, I was somewhere north of 210. I don't remember what it was. Heaviest I've ever been. Heaviest I've ever been in my life. And so when I, and when I saw that number, right, I, when I saw that number, I think I'm, I've got a slide that comes up to this, but I'm just going to do it now. That, and I saw that number, I realized this isn't good, right? Because if, because if I don't get this thing under the control, that, that 210 is going to become 220 and 230 and 240. You're with me? And then I'm two years away from 50. My metabolism is coming to a screeching halt. It's right. You, right. I hear it. Right. You know, you understand your body changes, your life changes. You, you, you and I, we have got to pick a number and begin to fight for it. And so my number for probably about 10 or 15 years was, was 185. That's not my number I'm fighting for anymore. Right, because those days have passed me. So 195 is my new number, and I'm about three pounds away from that. I've been working hard to get back to that. I, I'm just, I'm just encouraging you. When you look around and you, you see people, it, it doesn't necessarily mean. Now there, there are some people in the room. They eat whatever they want, and they never gain weight. And we do hate those people, right? <laughs> but not. But I'm just saying, be care, be careful about the conclusions that you draw about people. They might be working their tails off. You with me? Because all of a sudden, you know what that becomes for you? A permission-giving moment. You say, I'm going to give myself permission to give up because they don't have to try, and it's not fair. You tracking with me? All right. And I don't want to have to hit you. All right, I will live with the courage. Listen, I will live with the courage of conviction that my life is a home for God. I will live with the courage of conviction that my life is a home for God. A home for God. This was the, the fight for your number. I got there a little bit quick, but all right. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Listen to this verse. Don't you realize that all of you together, this is Paul talking to the, to the church, that all of you together are the temple of God. He uses in the Greek the very specific term, the holiest of holies. The, the temple was, 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 was divided up into multiple courts, but the inner place, which is where the Shekinah glory, the, the literal presence of God was, was, was the, the holiest of holies. That's what he used in the Greek. In the, in the English, we just have one word that means them all, which is temple. So he says, you're the, you're the holiest of holies for God, that the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, these are people that have made a vow of devotion to Christ. That's another sermon for another time. We're not all God's children. We like to use that phrase. It's not true. Everybody's a part of his creation, but only people who have made a vow of devotion to Christ are in the family. 
We, we now have this light shining, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. Come on, he lives in us. 1 Peter 2, 5, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He lives inside of us. I'm telling you, you're tracking with me, when these three things come together for you, I'm on loan, I'm in control, and I'm his home. When those three convictions begin to stir inside of you, it gives birth to a courage that enables you to begin to overcome at the table. I want to read this one. This is Acts 10, 9 through 16. Acts 10, 9 through 16. The next day as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, right? Cornelius has a, has a vision from God to go and send for Peter. So now Peter's going to come and, 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 and teach them uh, about the, 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 the gospel of Jesus. It's an amazing story. And, and it says, Peter went up onto the flat roof to pray. It was about noontime and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Or some people render that just a deep sleep, which is for me as a biblical reference for taking naps, if need be. He, he saw the sky open, and something like lar- a large sheet was, was, was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten Anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. And there's an interesting parallel there with the number of times that, that Peter denied Christ. And so the same vision was repeated three times when the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was perplexed. What could this vision mean? And then we know that there's a twofold uh, revelation to this vision. It's about there no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile, but it's also this revelation for us that as Jesus himself taught, it's not what goes into the body, into the mouth that makes us unclean. Come on, it's the words that come out. But this is an important part in our story because as the Christian church, this is the mistake that we made. God called all the food clean He did not call all the portions clean. It's important that we get this. We're free to eat whatever we want. No limitation on the kind of food that that, that, that you can eat. We're, we, we have the liberty now to say that there's not a the dietary laws of the Old Testament are not for us today. What he was not giving there is permission to eat as much of it as we wanted. What he did not lift, which is part of the Old Testament that carries into the New Testament, is self-control. What was not lifted is to be wise in how much of all of these things now that we are allowed to eat. Taking into consideration three very important principles that I am on loan, that I am supposed to be in control, and that I am the home to the spirit of the living God inside of me. Invite the worship team to come back up. So many people in your in your in your post that that uh, that, that you made, which I so appreciated, had some disclaimers. Loved it. When we're talking about superheroes, let's just assume that Jesus is off the table, right? 
I love those moments where people say, because Jesus is the greatest superhero, and that's true because he's real. Nothing else. And all this, this, this fun stuff that we're going to be doing together over these next few weeks to have some, this, this is an important part, to just finding moments of levity together, especially when we're talking about things that are so, so, so weighty. But, but all of those favorite superheroes, all, that, that stuff's not real, but Jesus is. And there's no power that he did not have. Nothing. You, you, you take all the, the, the powers of all the superheroes combined, and it's just a smidgen of what Jesus possessed in himself, even in his mortal body. Even though that it talks about in Philippians 2 how he emptied himself of the glory of God. That's what it's called the great kenosis chapter. It's the great emptying out of Jesus, and he took on flesh. He still brought with him, given to him by the Father, power that knew no limits and knew no bounds. See, see this, this idea of a superhero, I like it because it's real for us as devoted followers of Christ. It's why we follow him, because he's the greatest one of all. Every manner of disease, he had power over it. Nothing in nature, nothing in nature was greater than him. No amount of evil would ever be able to stand in his way. It even says at the end of time when the great battle of Armageddon comes and all of the armies of evil gather against him, he's going to defeat them just with his spoken word. Well, part of what makes his power so great is that it's, it's, he doesn't even have to try hard. It's effortless. It's effortless. But yet then there's this verse that, that's given to us. I believe it's in Hebrews. It says, yet he was tempted in every way like we are. It's powerful, isn't it? God gave him all of this power, but, but, but in the, his divinity when he walked upon this earth, he was also cloaked in humanity, which also means that God gave him all of the vulnerability of humanity. Now this is, a, this is big for us. This is big for us. Because we think because he had all of this power that it was easier for him to overcome the temptation. Can I just say to you with that much power, it makes the temptation all the worse. It makes the temptation all the worse. So when we say Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be tempted, I think he says to you and me, oh, you got no idea what temptation is like. To have limitless power at his disposal for that kind of power to be tempted, and yet he overcame. He overcame. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about God never allows us to step into a situation or circumstance that's too much for us. He always makes a way for escape. Stand with me. Father, as we come to the end of this message tonight and step into this moment of worship, God, may it be that, 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 that we would have a revelation that we don't have to give in to the things that we're not supposed to give in to. That we could have a revelation tonight that there's a freedom and a liberty that you want us to receive, that you want us to have, that we don't have to live in a place of fear, but, but that your spirit living inside of us can, can begin to direct us and lead us in ways like we've never felt before. And then we're going to lay down the things that we need to lay down. We're going to pick up the things that we need to pick up. And when it comes to sitting at a table, that we're going to start whispering to ourselves, I'm on loan, I'm in control, and I'm his home. And the courage of conviction is going to well up inside of us. And we're going to walk forward in the liberty, Jesus, that you paid such a great price for us to have to fulfill the destiny that you have called us to. 
and that we're not going to come to heaven and breathe our last a day sooner than we're supposed to. Come on, let's worship together. Holy Spirit, we want more of you tonight. Holy Spirit, break us, come and overtake us. You're the one we're living for. And Holy Spirit, lead us to the heart of Jesus. There is nothing we want. Praise it up and say, Holy Spirit, break us, come and overtake us. You're the one we're living for. Holy Spirit, lead us. Holy Spirit, lead us to the heart of Jesus. There is nothing we Everybody say, and I decree. 
give our lives for you tonight. Oh, close with this verse but 